back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Joining us now from the Denver Post is Mike Chambers. Mike, how are you this morning? Hello, Mike. Maybe Mike Chambers is joining us. Can you hear us, Mike? I don't know. Maybe did Jared, do we have Mike? We had him. Let me give him a call back. Say, we have right? Jared. Okay. It's just you and me talking to each other. All right. Just Phil, guys. No, Come on. Hello, Mike. No, nobody can hear us. He's gonna Mike, right, he's uh, gonna... Mike, if we get him, is gonna tell us about the Colorado Avalanche. He'll be in town tomorrow night to play your Golden Knights. Yes, in what would have been a highly anticipated yeah. matchup. I get I mean it still is, but uh Avalanche aren't going to have their goalie or Miko Rantanen. Golden Knights, well, we haven't actually got an update. So we don't know how many forwards they'll be without, but I guess they could be without as many as, what, yeah. five forwards for that game? Yeah. Like, it could be Dylan Coughlin and Tomas Jerko play. I don't know. I, we don't know what exactly the Golden Knights are going to look like, but neither team's likely to be at full strength, which is a little disappointing because we've gotten to see the Golden Knights just destroy all of the bad teams in this oh, division God. for quite a while now and it feels like we're just we're just longing for them to play a team that's any good so that we can actually see what they look like and what an actual playoff series or playoff matchup might look like yeah. between the golden knights and the avalanche and they're in minnesota on monday uh so yeah we're starting to see them play the better teams and like we said earlier in the show as crazy as it sounds this is a huge game for both, because if the Golden Knights win their 10th straight, there's six, there's six free of them. And I know Colorado has a game in hand, but six at this point, given how bad the bottom of the division is, is it, it, it could be like 10 or 12. And that's how kind of how big this game is for both. Yeah, I, a, a win for the Golden Knights on Wednesday and the division's mostly wrapped up. I mean, it would take uh, the Golden Knights faltering against some bad teams to really blow that. Uh, but if the Avalanche win, then they're four back, or excuse me, two back with a game in hand. So that's basically a you know you beat one bad team and you're tied just like that. So it's it's pretty big as far as determining who wins this division, uh, even if both teams aren't at full strength once we get into Wednesday's game. Uh, so disappointing they won't be at full strength. But I'm just yeah. I mean. At, at the end of the day, I don't know that I care too much who gets the one or the two that way. I just hope these two teams actually win their first playoff series and we get to see them yeah. play for a chance yeah. to go to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, I nothing against Minnesota, but I don't want them in the, to see them in the second round. I'd rather see Vegas and Colorado and see who the best team is. Yeah, I mean, I, so. and, and weirdly, there's there's a chance that doesn't happen, whoever plays Minnesota. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right. right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Like I mean, if if the Golden Knights fall to two and have to play Minnesota, the way we've oh, watched, we've the way we've oh, seen those two the teams worst play matchups this year, since they've been in the league. Yeah, like it wouldn't be that surprising if they suddenly lost no. to Minnesota because Minnesota's been better than expected this year, and Minnesota's been a tough team for the Golden yeah. Knights to beat for whatever reason. So that wouldn't be all that surprising either way if they ended up losing to Minnesota. And I, I mean, how I what what I want to ask Mike about is just sort of where, like how what how are the avalanche right now like you come back from a covid pause which is no fun you do, you're not at full strength right. and you played through st louis blues three times in a row and they lost two of them like they didn't exactly play well coming back to in terms of the win losses there so i'm curious just 
the Golden Knights, the, the, excuse me, the Avalanche feel like they are back to where they were before they went on pause when they were crushing everybody, or is it going to take them a while to get there? I am now texting him. This is our hotline. <laughs> well, okay, so I've called him, and it, it's either going straight to a dial, or not a dial tone, a busy signal, or his voicemail, which, I mean, those are my options right now. So I. Well, way, watch, watch. Here's here, here's another. Watch for the hotline at this point. Uh, we always throw that out there, and uh, hopefully uh, he'll call in. Um, you know what's it, what's it more? You know, I think it's more important. Hell of a day at sea, sir. <laughs> I think it's more important. I think obviously for Colorado, but you know, ten ten straight. We talked about nine straight and how important that was the other day. But I mean, I'm not going to say it's as important to nine straight, but. Do the Golden Knights, as no matter who the Avalanche are missing, I mean, how much do they want to win this or need to win this yet again to kind of put in their minds? We talked about this because everyone, I still think, believe or the majority of people believe when this team's fully healthy that Colorado's the best team. Is there still kind of a mental edge for the Knights, or they know who's going to be out, so they probably figure they should win the game? Well, the the good thing the Golden Knights have done is they haven't let the losses to Colorado like pile up. Like when they played them four times in a row. They got that win on the fourth day of that se- fourth game of right, that first right. series, and and beat them pretty soundly too. Like that was the best they played against them. So it was like okay, they kind of figured out. And then when they played them twice in a row, they won that second game against Colorado, and it was okay. They they looked really good in that game as as well. So I, I think if you're at the Golden Knights, you not that you feel good about beating the Avalanche in a seven game series, but you you feel good about yourself going head to head with the Avalanche. You feel good that yes, we, we can absolutely play with this team and beat this team in a seven game series because they, they have done it and they've played six times this year and they've split the games three, three. And even though Colorado's probably looked better in more games than the golden Knights have, it's still, Hey, you've got three wins out of them. And at least two of those times, the golden Knights have looked really, really good against Colorado. So I think they're fine now. If they lose on Wednesday, like five to one, and all of a sudden the Avalanche catch them in the standings, and they have a one more game before the season ends, then maybe we're having that conversation going into the playoffs of do they think they can actually beat Colorado or not? But right now, I think you'd be fine for the Gold Knights, especially even though you've done it against bad teams, you've won nine in a row. I can't imagine right, right. they they don't believe they can beat anybody right now because they they haven't lost and it feels like a month. I wonder which, and look, we'll know later today because they'll have their skate and everyone will be tweeting about who's on the ice, who isn't. And it's, you know, most days that's not very interesting because most are out there. Today will be interesting because, again, like you said, they're missing so many forwards. Who will be out there? Um, Riley Smith, I, I think, is obviously one because of the skill. But is there anyone else missing that you think could be an advantage or disadvantage if these guys get to a seven-game series in terms of who they could, you know, who they could be missing and what, how it might hurt them? I mean, maybe Tomas Nosek just because he plays center and he scored some goals this season. But I, I think, like, at the end of the day, if the Golden Knights are winning the Stanley Cup, or, or even if just the Golden Knights are getting out of the West uh, bracket of the playoffs, it's going to be because they've played well defensively as a team and because the top six forwards have scored well. Like, if the first two lines are not scoring the Golden Knights are going home, and that's what we right. saw last year. They almost went home to Vancouver when the top two lines stopped scoring, and then right. they, they didn't against Dallas, and they went home. Mike, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear hey. you guys. Hey, okay. No idea go. what happened. How are you, Mike? Doing good, man. How are you guys? We're good. good. 
Um, so I'm, I'm curious. The Avalanche, they have a big pause because of COVID. They come back. They've played three games, but they've lost two of them to St. Louis. Like, what's the general sense around that team? Because before the COVID pause, they were rolling, and it seemed like they were never going to lose a game again. Like, how much have they lost from that feeling a couple of weeks ago? A lot, it seems like. I mean, they this is uh, their first two-game losing streak in regulation in more than two months since February 22nd and 24th when they lost to uh, Anaheim and Arizona um, consecutively. But uh, I think a lot of it stems from their lost uh, firepower. I mean, losing Miko Rantman and Don Skoy and, and now Brandon Saad uh, along with Logan O'Connor and a couple other guys. It, it's uh, it's kind of a beat-up team in terms of COVID and injuries right now. Um, I think that's part of the problem, but I think the shutdown did hurt them. And uh, Bednar talked a little bit about that last night. It, uh, it was a team that was on fire, and as you said, it didn't seem like they were ever going to lose, and then all of a sudden they were shut down, and I do think that that hurt them. Mike, I want to ask you because I think kind of the feeling has always been if they're both healthy and everything's even and they would meet uh, in the second round that, you know, the Golden Knights would be, even though I don't think you can convince them of this, it would not be smart, obviously, to get in an open ice game and a 200-foot game and just try to try to go with them on that. When you talk about the Colorado side of things, have they talked about or do you feel that they believe the Knights would have an advantage in some area and they can't get into a certain game with them, that they would be in trouble if the Knights played a certain way? Heavy, heavy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that last game in Denver between these teams that we, we kind of saw that the uh, Knights came out and just played that really heavy game and the Avs really didn't have an answer for it. Now, since then, the Avs have added some toughness that Liam O'Brien is now the fourth line left winger and, uh, He's a real tough kid, and 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 they got Patrick Nemeth back on D uh, at the deadline. So they have beefened up a bit, but I think that was the one concern matching up with Vegas was the fact that Vegas was definitely the heavier team. Now, um, I'm not so sure if that's a big difference. So the, the Avalanche are not likely to have Philip Grubauer and won't have Miko Rantanen for Wednesday's game. How, how big of a blow is that just from a watching and, and analyzing point of where these two teams are as we get close to the playoffs that neither one's likely to be at full strength for that game? Oh, yeah. And, and Don Scoy can't even uh, resume skating until Thursday, so he's out. Rantanen Sod's out. Um, so they're going to be missing a lot of guys, same same as last night, and they re- really didn't play well at St. Louis at all. Um, so I think it's not going to be a really a playoff kind of matchup, but certainly the points are important. And uh, I know, like Vegas, that the Avs really want to win the uh, a division title. So we'll just have to see what happens. What it, because we talk about you know, the best players in the league, whether, you know, we see McDavid's ridiculous numbers again this year, Matthews. Um, where, in terms of McKinnon and, and his kind of trajectory and growth, 
Like, how much better do you believe, or do you think they believe he could be? Where is 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 where is his ceiling? Because everyone who watches him just talks about the speed and how great he is. But where do the Avalanche see him in now and in the future? They see him as the best player in the league, or or certainly the best uh, right-handed center in the league. Um, and they know what they're going to get in the playoffs. Uh, he proved it last year. I think his point strength was 15 or 16 games. The, the, the first 15 or 16 games of the playoffs, he, he had points. He was just unreal. Um, obviously, the Avs in general got really banged up in the postseason and were missing seven guys at the very end. But uh, McKinnon is just their rock, man. He, he's, he's the guy that you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy that's going to come out there and compete and skate like the wind and produce a lot of shots and make great passes and and just he's just the overall great player and he's really consistent and i think that's the big thing is the abs know how consistent he is and that's why he's so great this applies to both colorado and Vegas, but do you feel like you actually know how good either of these two teams are, given how bad the rest of this division is? Yeah, that's a good point, and that's something I think I'm going to approach for tomorrow in terms of like, are are these the the best two teams in the league, the entire league, or are they just way better than the rest of the guys in their division? So, (laughs) that's a great point, man, because, uh, it's hard to compare. We don't know what the Knights and the Avs are compared to Tampa Bay and Carolina and, and Pittsburgh and stuff. So, you know, it's a weird league, and we really – it's hard to compare, but uh, you, you got to think it's going to be a lot of fun once we can compare and cross-bracket. Uh Obviously, you know, the, the cliche about hockey playoffs and you've seen where anything can happen. Uh, there's debates on finishing strong and winning the Stanley Cup. Some have, some haven't. When they're, how important, obviously they want to get completely healthy, but knowing this team as you do, when it's completely healthy, if there's only a few games left and they go to the playoffs, is this a turn-the-switch team? Like, is this a team that can just flip the switch and if it's the last nine or ten, they're battling COVID and injuries, they're that good, or do you think it would hurt them and they're not that kind of team? I think this team is capable of a lot of things, including uh, having a bad stretch and losing. I mean, I think that, you know, they're all human, and, and but I've, I've never seen a better Avalanche team either. So, I mean, I've been covering this team on and off since their first year in 95, 96 and I was like the third guy in on the beat until about 2008 but I've been the main guy since or or well, I've been a partner and I've I've been around a long time and I've never seen a better avalanche team um from top to bottom you know maybe the goaltending isn't as as best as as good as it has been in the Patrick Law era but Philip Grubauer is a really good six-foot goalie, um, and I think that he's capable of a lot. Um, problem is, 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 is he he's he's not always uh, healthy. Uh, he's he suffered a lot of, of injuries, especially in the lower body. But um, 
up front in terms of forwards and the defensemen. I, I've never seen a better team. This defense with McCarr and Gerard and Taves are, are just puck-moving freaks. That uh, It's the style of game that Joe Sackick wanted to build. Um, and, and I believe it all stop, starts in the D zone. These guys are just so good at moving the puck up ice, making crisp passes, or skating the puck up ice. It's a possession uh, style, a fast style. And then the forwards, I've never seen um, as deep of a forward group than these guys, and they're capable of a lot of goals. It's just a really exciting team. It's it's fun to cover, but again, to answer your question, they're in kind of a rut right now, and every team goes in a rut. If you get in a rut in the playoffs, you're in trouble. Well, he is Mike Chambers from the Denver Post. Mike, uh, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome. Take care, boys. Take care so. of yourself. Yeah, that, that was cool because we always hear about the night side of things, and we never hear about the other team, and that's been the team all year people have talked about. Oh, they're, they're afraid of the Golden Knights being heavy. Too heavy. Ryan Reeves, he makes a difference. He hits one person, and it's over. Is, is this the only time that heavy is a good thing? Because, I mean... Travell Beck oh. is no longer at UNLV oh because of heavy oh, You Go back to that poor kid. Gee, poor Travell Beck. So what you're saying is teach Travell Beck how to skate and he'll be a great player. <laughs> I just, I just always think it's funny that they're like they're very heavy. Like, okay, does that mean they're fat or does that mean like they're they're strong? Like, heavy Jared, is not how like I com- normally associate with like athletic. Jared, that's like coming back from an NFL practice and giving the deep uh, reporting skill of he's fast. So. Oh, okay. So I need uh, basically I need to do journalism for like twenty five years in order to yes, get to yes, that. all yes. right. When you do that, you can come back and say heavy is good. Tyler, Coming Tyler, up next. I was just gonna say Tyler's like five more FOIA requests away from even being able to say someone's right. heavy. That's right. Coming up next, we'll find out if heavy is good or not. Bischoff's Briefs. Throwing out random numbers authoritatively is the best way to pass as a baseball expert. Bischoff's Briefs. By the way, it's commendable how many baseball players care so deeply about the Equal Rights Amendment. Bischoff's Briefs. Somebody get me some antibiotics because that ball is gonorrhea. Bischoff's Briefs. Hold on, before we start Bischoff's Briefs, Jared, did you mumble you hit your head on something during that? I hit my head on the mic again. <laughs> the the studio space is set up for someone who is Ari sized and I am not that I like I am awkward and lanky and I smacked my head on the mic. It hurt very badly. But also I had the mic on, so if you heard a loud okay, mic, that's, noise, that's what I was gonna ask. Okay. That that was because yeah. I heard it. I heard it, <laughs> yeah. but I wasn't sure if that actually went out to everybody else. <laughs> no, it, I had it just in your ears and smacked my face on the microphone. <laughs> okay, we're going to we're gonna change up a little bit what I was going to do with Bischoff Freeze, because we only have a few minutes here. We're going to talk to Sarah Spade at 9.30. We're going to wear Golden Nightshares a little bit later in the show. But my favorite soccer team is Arsenal. Oh, Sorry, no. Las Vegas Lights. Um, we have learned this week that the owner of Spotify – is a massive Arsenal fan, and he is now trying to buy Arsenal. 
And a part of his group to try to buy Arsenal are three of like the most popular Arsenal players ever. Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, and Patrick Vieira. And they're trying to buy Arsenal from Stan Kroenke because after the European Super League uh, debacle, a lot of people want Stan Kroenke to sell the team. A lot of Arsenal fans want Stan Kroenke to sell the team. So the guy that owns Spotify is like, yeah, I'll go buy Arsenal. I like Arsenal. I'll buy him. Um, Arsenal is valued at $2 billion, uh, which, by the way, does that seem high for a I, soccer team in England? No, I was going to say, is that all? Is that all? Okay, so it seems I mean, like I, maybe a little I, low. I, I don't even blink at $2 billion for one of those teams. Um, so valued at $2 billion. So they have to come up with $2 billion to uh, purchase this team. The problem, though, is that from every report that uh, I've seen, no one with Stan Kroenke or Kroenke's group has any interest in selling Arsenal because they believe having a, a soccer team in the Premier League is always going to make them money, pretty much regardless of how good they actually are. So the Spotify owner can get together with as many uh, former Arsenal players as he wants. It doesn't sound like anybody's actually going to sell one of their teams in Europe after the Super League debacle fell through and all of their fans hate them. Oh, I'm ready to comment. Um, yes. <laughs> why is why why again is Kroenke trying to get out of this? No, he's not. That's the point. Is he is not oh. trying to get out of it? Because I was going to say you don't you don't try to get out of those teams. Now, if he wants to get out of the Rams, I understand that. Uh, but I never get out of the Premier League, given how popular it is, and like you said, how much these uh, much these teams are worth. I I you said like did it sound like a lot? I'm guessing maybe I'm thinking of Man City, Man, you know. Um, Manchester United and what I've heard not only the transfer fees are for players but what these teams are worth like two billion to me I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of billionaires out there I just don't I hear that I'm like yeah that makes sense I thought it was going to be a little more am I off on that or just these the or is it just the huge huge teams that kind of take in that kind of money because what are the Dallas Cowboys worth three or four billion and yeah. that's just here I thought like the best teams in Europe were like oh that two billion would be kind of a bargain at that point yeah and arsenal somewhere out of probably ninth tenth or something like that of most valuable soccer teams but what's what's interesting about stan Kroenke not being willing to sell is the reason these teams wanted to form the super league was to make more money and they were right. saying uh the way that european soccer is structured it's broken we need to fix it we can't survive like this but yet when the owner of spotify is basically saying hey i'll buy the team from you Stan Kroenke saying, no, I'm not going to sell it. And the reason he's not going to sell it is because they know it's actually still going to make money. Like all the all the stuff about, oh, oh we need the, the Super League yeah. to make money. It's not because they're losing money. It's because they want to no. make more money. It's the it's, same argument that billionaires have is, oh, we're losing money. When in reality, they're just not making as much no. as they were hoping to make before. Is it the That's why billionaires lay people off and people always say they're not making as much. No, they're not making what their projected numbers were in the last quarter. I mean, it's that, that I see you see all that time in our business and my business. Everything's like, no, they're it's they're never losing money. It's very rarely you see people at that level because they're pretty intelligent and they got to that level where they lose it. They just say, hey, our profit margin productions were 18 percent. We made 13 percent. We're moving on from a lot of people. It's never about losing money. And I think the same holds here. Like you said, they might have thought they were going to make a lot of money by, you know, morphing into the other league. But it's not like going back like, oh, boy, we're going to lose a lot this year. It's is it kind of like how basically the Ricketts figured out, okay, now that we've won a 
We've won a World Series. The Cubs brand itself, we can run this thing on a shoestring and we're still going to sell all the money. We're still going to sell all the jerseys. Yeah. We're going to sell everything because these idiots don't care if we spend any money. They're still going to well, buy all the no, crap. You, no, you can live off that for years. I mean, you could you could live off that for years. Wasn't it like that before they won the World Series too? Yes, and that's why the that team probably was. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is like that's why it's weird that the Dodgers and Yankees keep spending money when it's like, guys, you can just suck and you'll be, you'll still be billionaires. No, Ed's got to be mad at Kenley Jansen for something. He's got to be angry. I'll talk about last night. Switched off the TV. uh, Started reading, and I told myself I will not click on the ESPN to see the score for half an hour. (laughs) Thirty minutes hit. I clicked on the score. They still lost five to three. (sighs) Coming up next, Sarah Spade (laughs) joins the show. Hammered left center field, and Winker got all of it. Back to the wall and gone. Two-run shot by Jesse Winker, and the Reds have taken a 5-3 lead. Opposite field juice from the Reds' two-hole hitter. Big deep breath from Antone. One ball, two-strike pitch again. Strike three called. He struck him out. And the Reds have won their first game on this trip. The seven-game losing streak is done. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Ah, the poor Dodgers. Got to feel bad for Ed. It's been tough being a Dodgers fan. Joining us now. Last week it's been hard. (laughs) (laughs) Joining us now is Sarah Spain. You can hear her on Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah, how are you today? Hi, Sarah. I'm doing all right. How about you guys? We're good. Um, So you don't have to give us anything right now, but if at any point during this interview... You have something good for us to make fun of Jason Fitz when we talk to him tomorrow. Please oh, let us I know. I mean, everything, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. just all of the whole his interview. food takes. Start, yeah, just start with all of his food takes. The fact that he's not a Chris Farley fan is up there because we just did a mock draft of Saturday Night Live cast members last night, and he always says Farley's overrated, which is a terrible take. Um, yeah, he's, just, he's, he's a wonderful person with awful takes. I'm, I'm thinking the last food take he gave us was about pie being terrible and pie mm-hmm. crust being yeah. awful. Um, yeah. 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 He so, hates pie. He hates maple syrup on pancakes. Like what? What? He does? Yeah. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll ask him about what? pancakes and syrup tomorrow. Yeah, some <laughs> good take <laughs> So, okay, Sarah, in Las Vegas, now that we have the lovely Raiders, our expectation going into the draft it's primarily they're they're going to mess it up. They're going to draft somebody that was projected <laughs> in the third round, in the first round. And, and I'm curious, when you when the Bears get on the clock, do you feel the same way? I do, but interestingly enough, last night Fitz brought up a statistic done by the folks at ESPN Stats and Info that over the last however many years, the Raiders were dead last in the draft in terms of the effectiveness of their picks. Um, sure. And the Bears were the fourth best. Um, But to me, that must mean it's not a weighted system because passing on Sean Watson and Mahomes (laughs) and McCaffrey for Mitch Trubisky should outweigh any positive selections you make for at least a decade or more because that's how long Patrick Mahomes is going to be dominant. Um, Yeah, I mean, I do think the Bears are going to mess it up. Um, Maybe that's unfair, though, based on actual statistics. I think all of us, unless our teams are consistently winning Super Bowls, like Patriots fans, and and your your team is always getting, you know, uh, tons of – props for their success in the draft. I think we always expect the worst, which is just to protect ourselves. Um, in the case of the Bears, 
it, it feels really wide open because both the Bears coach and GM are desperately hanging on to their jobs, and they really can't afford to blow it. So there's a possibility that they really try to make a move if there's a quarterback available and trade up and kind of tell Andy Dalton, I know we told you QB1, but we'll, <laughs> we, we, we only meant for the first, the first couple games of the season. We'll see how that works. Um, yeah, so it feels like a lot of question marks this year there. Would Okay, you talk about the Bears fans. Should the Niners fans be worried if they haven't decided on three? And all we've heard from Shanahan is, I don't know if the world will be here Sunday. We might all right, be dead. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would worry about this. We should all be having an existential crisis. It's very, <laughs> it's very he's day-to-day, aren't we all, kind of vibes yeah. coming from Shanahan. Um, honestly, to me, that's, the, that's a coach going well out of his way to avoid having to answer a question, honestly. Right? Like, he skipped over all the usual cliches to avoid answering something straight and went all the way to, well, he might be dead on Sunday. A little bit macabre. Um, I think the 49ers made up their mind a long time ago. In fact, yesterday mm-hmm. the story was Diana Rossini's sources saying that they 100% knew who they were picking, but they're just keeping it very tight-lipped. Only a couple guys around the organization know who it is. And then a couple hours later it was like, oops, never mind. They still don't know. There's all sorts of options. And I was like, no, nah, that's somebody getting to you and saying, we don't want this out there, we want to keep people guessing. I don't know why, because it feels like one and two are so set in stone that if they dealt away all that to get up to three, it doesn't really matter if they tell us who they're taking. Um, So that's why I'm wondering, because of the history of John Lynch, where I have thought that they were lying to us all along, that there might be something else going on there. All of the, you know, giving us too too much information before, and now the way that they're muddying the waters in the, in the exact opposite of what they were doing a couple of weeks ago has me wondering if we're all getting fooled here. Because it is, you know, it's, it's draft season. We should be expected everyone's lying to us at most times. Um, okay, so this idea that Mac Jones goes three, Justin Fields falls out of the top four. You, you can put the Bears in there, but, like, the, the Broncos are a team, the Patriots are a team. Like, how quickly do you think these teams should be trying to trade up to get Justin Fields at four, five, or six if he's there? Listen, I have, I think the ceiling for Fields and Lance is much higher than Jones. Jones can probably come in and play immediately, and maybe I'll be wrong in the way that many are pointing to that his football intellect is so great and his ability to move in the pocket outweighs his lack of athleticism for you know long runs or bursts of speed. But for me, I see I see Fields, and I, I what it reminds me of guys is like you ever go on a dating app and there's very little information about someone, and it's all decent, so everything you don't know, you just fill in with the best possible thing <laughs> until you meet them, and you're like, oops, uh, nope, that was wrong. That's what I feel is happening with guys like Lance and Jones, whereas we saw Justin Fields two years ago, and he would have been a top pick. There were absolutely no questions about what he can do, and the more we talk about him and we see him in a COVID-shortened year with you know different personnel, a couple games that we don't like, and all of a sudden we've convinced ourselves that he's not the guy anymore. And, you know, we had a draft expert on the other night, and he was so smart in saying that after a while, people get sick of saying the same things over and over. So they just change it up, and all of a sudden we find the narrative around somebody changing when nothing has happened. There's been no more games. They haven't done anything that would change our opinion of them. It's just, you know, gas bags need something to talk about. That's what I feel is happening with Fields. So if there's a team that's in a position, and there's a couple that have question marks, right? Like you look at the Falcons, who could very easily take a quarterback despite having a fair amount of money still invested um, in a veteran guy was okay. Um, but if, if they think that this is the time to start rebuilding and they want to trade Julio, bring in a young guy, let him learn behind for a year and then kind of start fresh. I don't know. You know, um, I think this year there's a lot more question marks around 
you know, the teams that could be trading up to take a quarterback and teams that may be sort of settling, like even the Bears, for this probably isn't going to be a great season, will wait. Well, and let me ask them because I don't read the, you know, the Columbus papers every day, but it sure seemed like the only time we've ever heard of dealing with epilepsy was now. I think that's a little strange given how the big Ohio State is, how famous he was. Obviously, yeah. does anyone care about this in terms of it appears he managed a pretty hell of a college career with it, but now it comes out. Well, that's why everybody thinks Belichick is behind this, right? Is it just <laughs> Bill and his people putting things in everybody's? I mean, the same thing happened about that weird source saying that he didn't have the work ethic. Look at the guy's body. Look at the guy's, you know, football prowess. Look at everyone says he's first one in, last one out. So, like, all of the stories around Justin Fields to me are very suspect, and that's why um, both as a, as a woman who has dated ever in her life and as a football fan, I just assume everyone's lying to me. I just, that's just the best way to approach everything. Uh, everybody is lying. They all want something. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think Justin Fields, I, I keep yelling this during my radio show and in, and in meetings when people want to talk about it for a show. Like, let's talk about Justin Fields. Why is he dropping? I'm like, dropping where? There hasn't been a draft. Like, just some mock draft people are suddenly moving. That doesn't mean teams that are actually making decisions about the futures of their franchise have any differing opinions about whether or not he's the guy just because some mock draft person saw that there was a source who said, I mean, I think we should all know that a lot of this is, is I, I, you know, if they haven't played a game since the last time we saw tape on them, if their pro days didn't reveal any massive issues, you know, it's interesting we're talking about Justin Fields and all this stuff when Mac Jones only played 17 games. Mac Jones had a DUI in college. Mac Jones has the body that has you questioning whether or not he's really devoted to, you know, the game and his physical prowess. Like, and I'm not judging that. I'm just saying we're not talking about any of that. We're focusing it all on fields, and that leads me to believe that there's someone out there who wants him to drop. Uh, Sarah Spain with us. So, Sarah, you are a part owner of the Chicago Red Stars of the NWSL, and I'm curious That's if right. you were describing it to us. How would you explain yourself or describe yourself as an owner? Um, well, I may or may not have already gotten fined, so I guess Mark Cuban <laughs> is in the mix there. Um, I, wait, wait, wait. What'd you get fined for? What'd you get, what'd you get, fined? You get fined for? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. That's why I said I may or may not. No one really knows. It's not about me either. Um, there's, there's definitely... Um, so I, what I will say is I will not I, – I will be the Jerry Jones kind of owner in that my mouth is my greatest gift and I will be doing a lot of talking about the team. But I will not be making, you know, GM-type decisions and personnel. I love soccer, but it is not my sport. I never played soccer, like, competitively. So I leave that up to the experts. And my focus is really on just drawing attention to the fact that the Red Stars are the oldest and winningest team in the NWSL. We have usually five or six Olympic or our World Cup players that you can come see right in your backyard in Chicago. Um, and that this league is the best collection of talent of women's soccer in the entire world. So I'm, I'm whoever you think the best hype man or hype woman, hype woman as an owner is, that's, that's my goal. Soldan, are you in a position where, like, if you're watching the national team play and you tweet about, like, I don't know, Kristen Press or Rose Lavelle, that you're going to get fined for that because they're not on your team? No, I don't think we have, and I should probably know this, uh, I don't think we have very strict, like, um, okay. guidelines around things like like tampering, right? So, like, in interviews when I've been asked, like, who's the player you'd most want on the Red Stars, I, I've, I've felt freely in speaking about that. Um, but I will say I do have to remind myself now as an owner 
that the things that I tweet about the games are viewed a little differently than just as a fan. <laughs> so I've been trying to settle for like just vague expressions of dis of, of, of dis- dissatisfaction, like rat farts when the other team scores versus what was she doing on that play? Like, you know, like that kind of stuff. Because that, you know, when you, you don't usually see owners uh, with that kind of play by play. So I'm, uh, I'm gradually learning. It's the preseason for all of us, owners included. <laughs> so I'm going to end my questions to you with this, because I have to know you can only go for the rest of your life to one concert, Counting Crows or the band Perry. Ha, huh, that's an easy one. I don't really like country very much. It was funny when I started working with Fitz, he was talking about this song, When I Die Young, that apparently is extremely popular, and I don't even know that one, and I think that's their biggest hit. So, uh, unfortunately for Fitz, uh, country's not my wheelhouse, and I love the Counting Crows, who, by the way, released new music today, and have a new album coming out. <laughs> I don't think there's anything better than hearing Jason Fitz talk about people not knowing who he is. I think those are some of the best stories. Like, well, I well, love I think... that he gets it from both sides. It's either like, what are you doing with this music stuff for this Jesus ad? Stick to sports. Right. Or they'll be like, why are you talking about sports? Stick to music. It's, uh, that's when you know you've made it, uh, when people hate yeah. you for literally everything. The Jesus one was my favorite of him, of them it being like, so we need good. to find somebody to make Dude. music. And he's like, I can do it. It was, yeah, he's like, oh, by the way, I've done a little bit of music. And then he crushed it. I heard it once, and I like knew it verbatim. I could sing it for you right now. Like, it, it's a boy band hit if you just took Cheez-Its out and, I don't know, some, some other word that, I, that rhymes with Cheez-It that I just thought of that I shouldn't say on the air. Okay. Well, she is Sarah Spain. Sarah, uh, we appreciate it. Listen to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We'll have Jason on tomorrow and uh, ask him about why he hates uh, syrup on his pancakes. Thanks, yeah. Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> See you guys. Oh, man. <laughs> I may or may not have been fined. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I need to figure out how I can own like a percentage of Lights FC. Yeah. But then again, you, I would absolutely yes. get fined all of the time. You would somehow just, be worse than Lashbrook. Yeah, I would get fined 24-7 for anything you, I would say about that team. What? Well, I shouldn't, but it, would, it be, would it be an investment you could handle at this point? I think so. Yes. Okay. I think okay. I could. I think I could. I could handle. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine Lights FC is worth that much money, right? No, that's right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. I tried to be nice about it, but I mean, yeah. I, think, okay. you know, I mean, I mean, just or the press box, we could go all in and out together, and they'd have three of us out there screaming. You'd be like all over the soccer <laughs> stuff. I'm like, you know what, Lastbrook, I'm not wearing a scarf. I, Jared be out there making comments. It'd be no. great if we owned like a portion of it. Jared would be in charge of guest relations and just be going two dollar tequila. <laughs> $2 tequila, $2 tequila. Jared, you're actually losing us money. Well, they, they were selling tequila for $2 last year, so if they were losing money then. Oh, you, no, you're... I'd be giving out free samples. Oh, well, yeah, well, yes, we know. To yourself and your family, and yes, that would be that would be the end of it. All right, here we go. We got a Golden Knights jersey to give away. You will also be entered for a chance to win a pair of tickets to a Golden Knights game. We are going to take... Caller number 12 at 702-364-1100. That's 702-364-1100. Caller number 12. You'll win a Golden Knights jersey, and you will be entered to win a pair of tickets to a Golden Knights game. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. And it's like, what in the hell are we doing here? Like, there's there's three worthy quotes that is going to come out of this press conference, and we're sitting here for a damn half hour. 
you're asking a question and you're not doing anything with it, but going back to hear your name called on the press conference, get out of here. So in a roundabout way, Tyler and I both said VGK. Listen to the Press Box with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Weekday mornings at 7 on ESPN Las Vegas. So I'm not being disrespectful when I ask you this. We've known each other a long time. I just kind of want some straight answers. Um, Where exactly do things stand, not contract-wise, but just in general, between you and this team and your future Hall of Fame quarterback? Is there a disconnect? Is there unhappiness on either side? Because there has certainly been some intimations of that from some, and I don't think that those people are making it up. So I just want to know where you feel things stand with Aaron and you and with the organization. I think I understand your question. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Congratulations to Arnell. He won the Golden Knights jersey and will be entered to win a pair of tickets to a Golden Knights uh, game. We will do that three more times this week, each day this week, giving away a jersey, and all five of you will be entered to win a pair of tickets. And want to say thanks to Finley Volvo for helping us out with this. Swedish elegance and world-renowned safety await at Finley Volvo. Visit them at finleyvolvo.com. Uh, so again, three more chances this week to get another jersey or be and be entered to win a pair of tickets. So... Jared, what did we just hear there? A question about Aaron Rodgers to the Packers general manager that ended with just, I think I understand your question. Yes. All right. So the the, the answer, the answer <laughs> was genuinely 20 seconds, and it was, yeah, Aaron's our quarterback. He's going to be our quarterback. I, like, I can play you the answer, but the question took 38 seconds, and the answer took 20 and started with, I think I understand what you're asking. <laughs> and it easily like the whole premise of that question was all right guys i got this we're about to make this about me we've known each other a long time i want an honest answer <laughs> and this guy goes all right i think i got it aaron Rodgers is really good i plan on having him as our quarterback the the best obviously there was a lot of great things about the question but the best is i've known you a long time what? <laughs> is that you're not going to start using that, Ed, in, in press conferences? I'm, McPhee, McPhee. I know people a long time, and they really don't care about me or how long they've known me. So, uh, no, I won't be using that. <laughs> they've never cared about me. They won't care about me, and it doesn't matter how long I've known them. The problem is, is most, of the, most of the coaches here <laughs> The problem is most of the coaches here haven't been here very long. You can't have known them for a long time because they they, they've been here for like a year or two, and they get fired. Yeah, that, that is true. It's hard to know those guys for a long time. I've known guys for a long them. time that get fired and I still talk to, uh, and they don't care either, but uh, at least I can actually premise it with, hey, I've known you for a long time. Why don't you tell me something? <laughs> what? Okay, what, what do we add here? We have UNLV basketball has obviously had a ton of new coaches. Football team's got Arroyo in his second year. Uh, Raiders have John Gruden going into his fourth. The Golden Knights have Pete DeBoer, who's not even finished two full seasons yet. Like, who is Bill Lambeer the longest tenured coach in this city? Boy, for the for the pro teams, yeah. yeah like, I mean, it's certainly not well, anybody at Knights FC. How long? Um, what, Gruden going into his fourth. I mean, remind me how long Lambeer's been the coach. 
this will be their fourth season here, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, he was also was he not the coach before they moved? I don't here? think no, he wasn't the coach in San Antonio. Oh, okay. No, he was not. He no. did, yeah, he didn't become the coach until they came to Vegas. Um, so yeah, let's see, let's see. Yeah, this will be his fourth year as the Aces head coach. So that's that's about the extent. You know, he's actually made it to the playoffs, made it to the WNBA finals, and like John Gruden over there who has it going into his fourth year. But Me. yeah, I mean he's. He's the, he's the one, and we haven't. He's not even in five years. Is he also the, I mean, longest... the longest tenured coach, who happens to be one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in town for what he does, and easily one of the nicest and respectful guys would be Dwayne Knight over at UNLV. But I, yes. I've always thought he's, I've always thought he's the best coach on campus. Anyway, I don't care what sport it is. So, um, but yeah, there's not a lot who've quote unquote been around a long time. Is How Bill... long? Sorry, I was just gonna say, is Bill Lambier also the longest tenured general manager in Las Vegas sports? Does Does Lashbrook count as a general manager for Lights FC? Oh, he's such a nice guy, but I don't know if he's that. <laughs> I mean, they they've never had a general manager, so he's kind of the general manager by default. He's kind yeah. of everything, though. He's a jack of all trades. He's like the general manager. Okay, he promotes it. He markets it. Uh, His title is coaches. owner. I mean, he's got it. He's actually an all around, uh, all around uh, performer. There, he does a lot of stuff. Knits, knits, uh, like uh, the uh, scarves. I mean, there's not much he doesn't do. I don't think those scarves are knitted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, did you see Kim Mulkey yesterday get introduced yes. as the head coach at LSU? and take her mask off and fling it into the air yes. to start her press yes. conference. So oh, I kind of feel like the Las Vegas Aces are the reason that happened. Because the Las Vegas Aces, though they haven't done it officially, I know you guys reported a couple days ago, the Aces are going to hire the former LSU basketball coach, Nikki yes. Fargus, to be their team president. <laughs> By the which way, that's, opened... the, that's the worst secret in all of sports right yeah. now. Yeah. It's been reported like a lot of times and it hasn't been official. But had they not done that, the LSU job wouldn't have been open and Kim Mulkey wouldn't have been able to leave Baylor for LSU and fling her mask into the air at an opening press conference. Did he How'd count she... us down? I heard I heard three. It I don't know. 30. He might have hit his head. He might have hit oh, his head 30. on the microphone. Yeah. 30. I thought, yeah. Not, oh, good. Are we doing uh, no, this I did again see Kim Mulkey say that. And very rarely we see that you know, prominent and successful coach change, but she's going home and let, yeah, let's say she, uh, she doesn't like the mask edicts. There's no question about that. She needs a Corvette guy in LSU now. <laughs>